Hello, everybody. Welcome once again. As we continue on in the study we're doing through the New Testament together, we have been working, uh, this is the 219th part in that study. That's funny. When I read those numbers, I kind of chuckle. And uh, I think I'll keep a running total through the Old Testament, too. So like 10 years from now to be, you know, this is our thousandth meeting. <laughs> so, no, it won't be 10 years. Try it at the end. Anyway, um, 219 meetings. Um, and we've been working through the New Testament together pretty much a chapter at a time throughout all those discussions. Uh, we do that on purpose to um, sort of keep it in context. And if, if you have heard nothing else, you've heard me say that every week. Um, studying the Bible in context is extremely important um, because we have to know, um, you know, why it was written, who it was written to, why in particular, you know, they were writing it, uh, you know, what questions were being answered, um, understanding certainly that the Holy Spirit is, is, is inspiring the written words and using the personalities of the guys that were writing it, and yet at the same time, um, under, you know, putting it together with everything else that was going on so that it remains in context, so that we don't just take one verse out of one spot and, and make it try and say something that it wasn't really saying. It has to say what you wanted to say in context. Or, or we're taking it out of context, which is not a good thing. And so by studying the Scripture this way, it enables us to really process through, um, hopefully, what was being said and why. And, and so we need to be careful that sometimes we, and we, we all can do it, um, we'll pick a verse and we'll just take it and we'll, we, we want it to, I don't know. Anybody here have like a, a pet theology or idea that you sort of want to make work? And you can, and so you take this little piece and this little piece. We just have to be really careful that we don't do that because we can get way off track that way. And you also have to be careful that, that you're not um, subscribing to someone's pet theory uh, or theology that they're taking out of context from little places. So we need to study the, the Scripture together in context, and we need to pray about everything. We want to be ultimately like the Bereans who were, you know, commended for the fact that, that when Paul would instruct them and teach them, they would say, cool, that's really good. Then they'd go and look it up in the Bible, and uh, they'd make sure it was lining up. So we want to make sure that we're doing that, so we are taking our time to study the books in context. And we've, like, we've covered most of it. We're in the last um, little bit of the New Testament, and then we'll start in our Old Testament discussion. I'm looking forward to that. Um, that's 15 years' worth, so to complete this five. So it's good stuff, and uh, I'm excited about it. So anyway, we are um, up to 1 Peter now, and uh, we're just digging in. We're going to be in the first chapter here in a minute. Um, this uh, 1 Peter is actually is written by Peter, um, so he, he authored it. Um, Peter in the Scripture is known also as Simon and Cephas, or Cephas, um, depending on how you like to say that. He was one of the 12 disciples. Most of you have heard of Peter. Um, along with James and John, uh, he was one of the three that seemed to be in the inner, inner circle of Jesus, if you would. All the disciples would be in the inner circle. These were the three that we see in Scripture to kind of um, be the closest, if possible, to Jesus. He would take them, you know, with him. Those three guys would be sort of part of his inner core. And, uh, um, and so they, they had a lot, you know, sort of uh, in, in, in the relationship they had with Jesus. Peter was the first one to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. Um, Peter also missed it from time to time uh, in his journey. Uh, he, he denied Jesus three times after he was arrested, but he was um, restored by Jesus after the resurrection, 
And it was then Peter who stood up before the crowd at Pentecost and preached the, the first recorded gospel message. And 3,000 people were added that day to the church. And everything, uh, and that's us. I mean, that, what he did then is where we come from. So um, it's been going strong till this day, which is, uh, again, I love thinking about the history of the church. And, and I hope you understand that uh, the connection you should feel to the church throughout the ages, good and bad, um, the, it, we're here because of the church that was here before us and, and what they did. And, and uh, that means something. You're, you're, you're part of something far bigger than you can imagine. And so, I mean, sometimes it's, we th- I, I, it's easy to think, I, you know, here in a, we're in a small island in a small place and we, we're, this is us and this is our church, and, you know, as we understand it. But we're, we're connected um, to such a, a much larger thing um, not only around the world, but, but throughout uh, our 2,000-year history. And uh, I love that idea and that connection that we have. So when we read about the early church, you know, that's where we came from. You, you are tied back to it through what's taken place over the last couple of thousand years. First uh, Peter was written to the church that was being persecuted by Nero. And, and because of this intense persecution that was going on in the Roman Empire, Empire at that time um, of Christians... By Nero, they, they were just starting to have to pick up and leave, and uh, they were being scattered everywhere. And First Peter, we, we're pretty confident, was written around um, 64 A.D., um, and it would have been just before Peter was martyred by Nero. He, he writes off these letters. And uh, remember when you, when you read the canon, when you read the New Testament, when you read these letters, they were all written in a very, very close period of time to um, when Jesus was actually alive and with them. Because um, some people want to say and start including books that were written hundreds of years later. All the books that we have that were written within like that 30-year period or so of the uh, crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And the reason it was that long before they wrote is they, they sort of um, were pretty confident. They believed he was coming back um, in their lifetime. So they didn't think they needed to write it down. But as they started getting some time on them and some age on them, they thought, you know, we better start writing this stuff down just in case he tarries a little while longer. So, but within that, that first generation, we, we have our New Testament has been put down in writing. And we, we, um, we keep finding manuscripts that prove that out and bear that out time after time after time that we can date back into the, the early, very early first century. So um, very cool stuff. So um, he wrote around uh, 64 A.D., and, uh, and then he was, in fact, martyred by Nero. So let's look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, 25 verses. I'll read them to you. I'm going to read out of the NIV. You can read along in whatever Bible you have or on the note sheet that we gave you all as well. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. 
In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets, who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in irreverent fear. In reverent fear, pardon me. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you by your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living, enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever, and this is the word that was preached to you. And blessed be the word of the Lord. So let's talk about a few things in those verses together, and uh, I'm going to pray, and that'll be good. So, uh, first couple of verses, the letter is addressed to God's elect, strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And so the church was being scattered by the persecution they were facing from Nero, who was just insane. And uh, you, know the, you know the story, big fire that he set, that he blamed the Christians for, and then uh, he just poured it down on him. Uh, but this didn't stop the spread of the gospel. In fact, as the church was scattered, they preached the good news wherever they went. It actually was one of those things that helped start, continue the spread of the gospel around the world, as well as, you know, all the missionary efforts of Paul and, and everything that was going on. Um, as the church had to flee wherever they went, they talked about Jesus, and, and so the church continued to grow and expand uh, through the known world at the time. In verse 2, there's something I want to make sure you see. Uh, I try and point these out whenever we come across them. There's a reference to each member in verse 2 of the Trinity. So whenever you see Father and Son and Holy Spirit in, in a verse like that, I always try and like you to see, because, you know, the, the concept is there, but the, the, the actual word that we use, Trinity, doesn't show up in the Bible, but we see time after time after time, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit uh, at, at work in, in, uh, in the way that they do that, in complete cooperation. And uh, so I'd like you to make sure you see them. It says, you know, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood. All, all three um, 
together there in the, in the Scripture, um, in working and moving together in cooperation. I, I just like to point out those references to Trinity when we come across them. Now, verses 3 to 5, um, Peter talks about the new birth, a spiritual birth, and, and it's the same concept that we, we've been talking about recently uh, when Jesus um, encounters Nicodemus, interacts with Nicodemus, that you must be born again. Until you come to Christ, you are not truly alive. Uh, you're not spiritually alive until you come to Christ. That's the concept that um, we, we just studied uh, recently. But your life, your now and forever life, really begins um, when you meet Jesus and when you, when you come to terms with Him, in relationship with Him, and are, are born again, spiritually born, new birth, whatever the terminology you like is there. Um, in verses 6 through 12... Uh, the, the persecution, you know, um, he, he picks that uh, idea again, and I thought I'd just explain that a little. Why were they being so horribly persecuted um, uh, by Nero? And, and he, they were using, he was using him as a scapegoat. But also, um, the, some of the big problems were this, that um, they, uh, uh, the believers refused to worship the emperor as a, as, as a god, which was a big problem because the Roman emperors demanded to be worshipped as the figurehead of their own religions. Um, this refusal to worship at um, these pagan temples was bad for business because uh, the pagan temples were huge sources of money-making uh, for, for the, anyone that was in power at the time. Um, the, the idea, uh, the Christian ideal of self-sacrificing service that Jesus taught were completely counterculture to the Roman ideals of um, self and power and conquest. And the Christians were a, a moral obstacle when it came to the immorality that was associated with um, pagan worship. And so um, having a standard around made it d difficult for them to move into the depths of debauchery they wanted to go to. And so um, they just decided to, to wipe out the, the things that were in their way. And so the persecution that was going on, that's what they were facing, and that's why it was coming down so heavy on them, that they just had to start leaving um, and getting away from it. Uh, in order to uh, to survive, um, uh, but you know, obviously, many were martyred, and and uh, tough time in history, and many still are martyred. We know that, right? That in this day and age, there are still um, horrendous atrocities committed against believers just for believing, um, and it happens all over the world. It happens all the time, and it's staggering numbers. Staggering numbers. It's it's worse now than it was. 2,000 years ago. So, um, this is still part of the deal. Um, then he goes on in verse 13 through 19, and he says in verse 13, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. And Peter is really challenging us to live this life differently. That once we come to Christ, we're to live differently than we used to. And uh, we, we are, we're, we're new in, in Christ. And so he's, he's calling us to this new way of living. And he says it in, in the, that, that thing, be holy in all you do. First um, Peter 1, 14, 16, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as, as uh, he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it's written, be holy because I am holy. Now, there's a, that's a lot of discussions about holiness there. And uh, I think sometimes we can get unsettled by that word, uh, or the concept, perhaps, of what it means to, to live a holy life. And, and uh, the word actually means, holy actually means to be set apart. 
and it means we're to be set apart from the ways of the culture, from the ways of the world, um, and in particular from the ways of selfishness. And, and so Peter, in effect, is saying you've been made new. Um, now now you, you need to live differently. You need to be set apart. Not in a standoffish way, um, uh, but in a different way. And, and again, this is when we talk about and why we talk about it's all about living by trying to do the next right thing. You, you have to choose to live life as the new creation you are. Uh, and, and you decide that you want to live for Him. Not to, not to earn anything from Him, because you can't, but because of the realization of what He's done for you, that it, it needs to impact the way that you live. And, and the motivation is, that's, that's the motivation. First Peter 1, 18 and 19. For you know it is not with perishable, perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So because of what Jesus has done for us, our response then is to live for Him uh, and to live a life that pleases Him uh, and, and really live by trying to do the next right thing. And then he goes on and see, here's a clue. First Peter 20 through 25, uh, he starts, he talks again in this conversation about holiness, he talks about love. First Peter 1 22, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. So, so I believe that the truest display of holiness is loving well. Um, I, I know sometimes we think that, that the holiest people are sort of people that have isolated themselves from, from everybody and everything so that they're, you know, so that's what they think to, it means to be set apart. And sometimes people like that, you know, who kind of just totally unplug and go away or kind of revered as being holy people. Um, but since Jesus, and I'm not picking on that, but I just don't think it's the, the um, model. Jesus is always our model, right, for everything, including holiness. And Jesus didn't do it. He, he lived holiness out by loving people well right where they were at. And, and that's what he calls us to. Um, that's what it looks like. And... and uh, and, and so um, what we're always moving towards is, is, is trying to love people the way that Jesus did. We talk about it all the time. Our whole series on Sunday, on the weekends has been about that for quite some weeks. Because to me, that's what a life of holiness is. Um, it's, it's the best presentation. You, if you try and define a life of holiness by what you do and don't do, you're just going to become a rule follower, and, and then you're not going uh, to live a holy life because your, your inside's not going to be right. And so it's, uh, it's always about this idea of, of looking to see what Jesus did and then doing what he did by loving people well. Um, he, he wrote, Jesus wrote this, we'll close with this, John 13, 34 and 35. This, Jesus said this, John wrote it. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So the, the idea always comes back to that. It's about loving well. And to me, this idea of loving well is the best display of holiness uh, in, in, that we can express as we love God and love our neighbors uh, all, uh, you know, with all that we are and have. So that's what we start with in First Peter um, chapter 1. Chapter 2 is cool too. You're going to look forward to that. For you are a royal priesthood. How about that? A holy nation. That's you guys. And uh, we'll talk about that next chapter. But that's good for today. If you're watching by TV or video, thank you. Appreciate your time. Come and visit when you can. If you need prayer, go to the website, keysvineyard.com. We'll see you soon.